I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are approaching the end of the year, and many of us are now looking at our expenses and our bank accounts and going, could I be more organized? And so today we have on Lindsay Roberts, owner of Harquin Bookkeeping, to talk all about bookkeeping aspects. And for those of us who have added uh, products in, in addition to our services, what it means to stay up to date on payroll and sales tax and all sorts of stuff today. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and all that you do? Yes. So uh, my husband and I started Harquin Bookkeeping roughly 14 years ago. Um, we we were a, a brand new family. We had just gotten married and um, it kind of grew from there. It, we did it as a uh, after work thing, as I'm sure a lot of pet sitters do on the side. And it just grows until it's a thing. And and then it just keeps growing. So we are entrepreneurs first, um, and we just so happen to do bookkeeping. We we love bookkeeping. It's very dorky. We love organizing data, and um, yeah, so it's our thing. And uh, so we help small business owners uh, and nonprofits from all walks of life. Um, to people that don't even break ten thousand dollars in sales to people who have multiple millions dollars in sales. So. Uh, we've seen it all um, in all different ways, and we do bookkeeping, um, payroll, and sales tax, and we also do some CPA consulting as well. Yeah, and I, I want to dive into the bookkeeping aspect uh, because that's kind of the the heart of what a lot of us deal and struggle with. Walk us through some bookkeeping basics, and and really, I guess, what are some? I want to start off by asking, maybe, what are some common misconceptions about what bookkeeping is and what it isn't? So some common misconceptions I would say are people put a low emphasis on bookkeeping or a high. Um, It is very important. Um, So I'll start with the low emphasis. Uh, We hear a lot of people just go to a H&R block or even to a CPA and they'll take their sales report from their point of sale and say, uh, I'm ready to file my taxes. Here's my sales. Um, Without even claiming any expenses whatsoever. Obviously you would hope that a CPA would stop you and ask questions, but I'm sure if if you've been on this earth for more than 10 years, you know that people aren't paid to care and um, they'll just go with the flow. They get, they get a, they get a fee no matter what. And uh, especially the H and R block type of places. So they'll just take their sales report in and file their taxes, not knowing that they can even claim expenses. Um, so, uh, bookkeeping is tying together your income and expenses, um, into one report, uh, in order to file taxes on. And so if you're only claiming your sales, you're, you're, you're overpaying an income tax basically. Yeah. That's that, that's that key aspect of going, we need to be capturing and categorizing these expenses. And I guess at the end of the year saying, is this legitimate? right off what categories does this fall into, but you can only get to that step if you've been keeping up with the categories all along. Right. And I think that's where it's at. It's a panic. Like, okay, there's a deadline. I got to get this done. Who cares? I'll just do it. And, and it, 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 like I said, they don't get paid to care. And if you're, if you're just trying to get it done, they're trying to get it done. And you know, who cares? Hey, I overpaid this, the, the IRS, they'll, they'll stay off my back. 
I won't get audited now because I threw all this extra money at the IRS is what sometimes you hear. Uh, so I'm like, well, good luck with that. Uh, but yeah, so there's an, an under emphasis. Um, and then obviously as human beings, we also over overkill things. Sometimes people are too meticulous in their bookkeeping to where, to where it comes, it comes uh, so complicated that they can't maintain it without investing so many hours. And then they just end up giving up. So it's not, it's important to do, but it's you don't have to say, you know, categorize your clients by what size dog they have, uh, you know, in your financials, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, stuff like that. And so when it comes to things like tracking, we're talking about accounting for these in, in different categories. What kind of things should we be be tracking or what are some common categories that business owners should keep in mind? So um, with a service based business, especially. Um, I would say the, the easily missed ones are your cell phone and internet. Um, most businesses these days are ran solely off of cell phones. And, um, so I think people forget about that and their, um, their computers in their home offices. Um, and then obviously mileage tracking mileage and, um, also automotive expense separately. Um, the reason why Tracking it separately is important is because some years one will give you a higher write-off than the other and CPAs ask for that information so they can determine, you know, what's the better write-off, you know, gas uh, or mileage. Um, So generally they say to keep track of both. There's a lot of really neat apps out there that you can download on your phone that keep track of work, work mileage versus personal mileage. And um, then you'd already have that information ready to rock for the CPA. (laughs) Another common one, too, is home office. Um, People don't realize that that is a write-off. I think there's a misconception that you have a higher chance of getting audited if you claim that expense. But I also, I I try to deter our clients from being afraid to take write-offs just because they're there for a reason. And as long as you're well documented, you're you're fine. Um, I don't think there is anything that gets people, you know, uh, higher risk of auditing uh, other than missing expenses or missing income. Um, there's there are algorithms where they they determine who should be audited. Obviously, they don't just blind audit, but claiming a home office is not going to get you a higher rate of audit for sure. <laughs> Well, and that home office does does a lot for us, especially where we're working out of our homes. There, there are home right. base, and that that ties in beautifully with that mileage tracking as well, Lindsay. Because you, once you have that home office, now anytime you leave on business, that's that's mileage that you can start tracking as you are departing from your office. Yeah, especially with pet sitters, um, it gets a little tricky when you have a permanent office outside your home and inside your home. It can get tricky because it's, you know, well, you would have driven that anyway if you were an employee. But when you're going to your different customers' homes, it's 100% a write-off. So it's it's extremely important that you capture that. Yeah, because, again, we're, we you mentioned there about not being afraid to take these, these write-offs and not being afraid to look at these tax advantages as a business and going, right. what are my, again, what are my requirements for meeting this? 
so that I can take it and making sure I have that document to back documentation to back it up. There should be no right. as long as it's a legal process, like you're, you said, it's it's there for a reason. There's another one that people are often afraid to use, and and we could talk about this a little more when we get into payroll. But um, employing family members is also uh, it's something that people have done for years, and that many people in this day and age, like the newer business owners, don't even realize is a thing. Employing your children is actually um, a huge tax advantage. Um, there's, uh, they are not liable for any payroll taxes. Um, so it's really, it's a cool thing that is built into our tax law, and it's to encourage family businesses, but most people don't even know it exists. So we've talked about tracking. Obviously, we're talking about tracking, tracking expenses. Something that is, is new to a lot of pet businesses uh, or actually the introduction of selling products. Uh, that's not something that you know, we, we're service-based. So some of us pay sales tax, some of us don't. But when it comes to product-based businesses, or now we've added that to our, to our companies, is, does tracking look differently for that? Or what things do we need to, to keep in mind now that we've added products to many of our businesses? Yes. So um, I know that there's listeners all over the United States. So the first thing I'll say is that uh, the sales tax laws are different um, from state to state and that you should look into what your state, um, how they handle services and products for that that matter. Um, And I live in Ohio and in Ohio, we have taxable services and tax, obviously taxable products. (laughs) So um, so yeah, always, always know that and always get second and third opinions on that because some people, um, even when you call the state, don't necessarily know the laws like they should. So always get a second and third opinion on that. Um, so when we're talking about products, um, in most states, when you sell products, you have to charge sales tax or what a lot of people mess up on is they will buy a product, pay sales tax on the front end and then sell it, and then charge sales tax again. And so the state ends up basically getting paid twice for the same product. <laughs> That's a big one. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the law is is that the end user pays the sales tax. So if you are buying something to resell it, you are not the end user. So um, every state has something called a blanket tax exemption form. Um, normally I just recommend people Google it <laughs> and find it. Just put your state in front of the, you know, the word Ohio blanket stack sales tax exemption form and it'll pop up. Um, but basically you fill that out and you hand it to the vendor that you're buying product from. This could even be Walmart or Amazon, mind you, and say, Hey, I'm buying this to resell. I am not to be charged sales tax. Again, this is one of those things of going, what are our options out there? And if we've never been exposed to these things before, sometimes we don't even know what questions to ask uh, to move forward with these. Right. And a lot of people, they'll start dabbling into products and um, not realizing they should be collecting sales tax. And if the state catches wind and then, um, you know, they, they notify them, hey, you have this obligation you're not meeting. Um, you could, some people are like, well, I know that I should be, but I already paid sales tax on the front end, so it doesn't matter. Um, the state will come back and say, well, you weren't supposed to. That's not my problem. I still need my yeah. money. <laughs> and then I've had also people say, well, I paid sales tax for it, you know, in this other state. 
but you know, this, your, the state you live in didn't get money. So they're going to say, well, I want my money. It's on you to go back and recover your money from the other state you paid. Mm-hmm. So um, they're very, there's no compassion there. It's very letter of the law. So you'll end up having to pay if you don't collect it from your customer. So either you're going to have to build that into your original price or you're going to have to, you know, um, print a bunch of those forms out and just have them on hand or have it on your desktop of your computer and just email it when you, you know, get a new vendor. And that's just your new way of life. <laughs> Again, sometimes in business, we we commit to things without fully understanding the ramifications of now what are my obligations to seeing this through to its fullest. And this is definitely one of those of people turn to products and went, oh, well, my, my service business is down. So now I'm going to go over to products so I can try and make some more money. But not knowing or knowing what questions to ask, all of a sudden now we're tasked with understanding all of these things. And I know sales tax is, is pretty tricky. So do I have to account for the sales tax? You know, I'm sitting down, start my bookkeeping process, or I'm doing that on a monthly basis. How do I categorize sales tax or do I just throw it into that kind of category? Yes. So sales tax will generally be charged on the front end from the uh, your point of sale. So if you um, sell something for a dollar and there's 7.25%, then I am going to try to do the math. I'm sure it's a dollar and seven cents, but uh, I don't trust myself. I'm an accountant. I don't trust my own brain. Um, But so that where do we account for the seven cents? Uh, Basically is the question. So um, obviously a dollar would be sales. And then the seven cents would go into a category called sales tax liability. So um, you because you have the honor of having a business in the state of fill in the blank, you now have the uh, the honor of collecting the state's money and paying it out to them. Um, When you start to sell, the first thing you would do is get a vendor's license with that state um, and then they assign you a schedule. Um, Most states schedules are monthly, quarterly, and annually. Um, Ohio has a special one called semi-annual. And then New York State has quarters that are off one month. So instead of (laughs) March... Yeah, well, it's not a big shocker, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, But instead of your quarter ending in March, their quarter ends in February. So, and then you just three months after that. And that that schedule, Lindsay, is for when you are reporting or when you are paying that to the state? Both. Um, And there are penalties if you don't pay, even if you don't owe. Um, That's another big thing. Someone like, oh, well, I didn't really sell anything this month, so I'm not going to file. You still have to file zeros. Um, They have non-filing fees that they will charge you if you don't. So once you get that vendor's license, you are now obligated to... Keep up with it until your account is officially closed. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely one of those things of just because you stop selling means that now, again, I've got to go back through and find all these other obligations. It's one of the also reminded of many of us set up LLCs in our business. And now all of a sudden I have ongoing obligations to that until I send forms and say this thing no longer exists. And that has a very legal process. Becoming Becoming a vendor has ongoing commitments that we need to be doing. 
And I'm sure most of us had no idea that I had to be filing zeros because why why would you do that, right? Who would think you need to file zeros? (laughs) Yes, and that's sometimes when we have somebody who, like they had a small business and they're taking a break because of X, Y, and Z, they had a baby or they got sick or whatever. We though we always say that, and the people that don't listen always come back and say, "Hey, I got all these letters." The state normally will say, "Oh, you owe five thousand dollars." They just make up big numbers just to scare you to to take action and not ignore. <laughs> but then they're panicking. They got like a letter in the mail, and so yeah, that is a common thing. Like people are like, "Oh, well, I don't owe anything, so I'm good." It's like, "Well, you still have to file zeros." Yeah. Yeah. Again, one of those things we've committed to. Um, <laughs> now, now I know there are lots of different ways of of tracking and keeping in, in all these expenses as we go through that bookkeeping process. Could you just list off a few and their their pros and cons of using them? Um, so everyone's favorite is probably Excel. Um, I get it. I like Excel a lot. It's my uh, it's my second favorite program. Um, the only problem with Excel is you are unable to easily manipulate the data um, over and over again. So yes, you have your list of expenses. Um, You might even have them categorized, but you lose your ability to reconcile. So reconciliation is important in the bookkeeping process because it makes sure that you have every transaction in there, that you didn't transpose any numbers. Um, Nothing's duplicated. Nothing's missing. Um, that's what reconciliation is. Um, some people, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, balancing the checkbook, uh, you can do an Excel. It just takes more work. I prefer QuickBooks, um, just because it's all in there and I'll explain what the benefits are. So it has a reconciliation feature. So once you reconcile it, it's locked in time, you know, starting, um, so if you've reconciled through March 31st, everything prior to that is locked in time you're good to go. Uh, Now you're just moving April forward. Um, So that's a benefit. Another, another pro um, QuickBooks con to Excel is the manipulation of reports. So yes, you can get good data out of Excel. It just takes a lot of effort. Um, Each time you want to look at it in a different way. It's all on you to, um, copy the data over, resort it in different ways, and you can't easily compare and contrast. So the cool thing about QuickBooks is that it's built with an Excel or a database that looks just like Excel in the background. So it still works like that, but when you enter a transaction one time, it shows up on all the reports. So I can say, show me this month's profit and loss statement i can show me compare this month this uh let's just pick a month october versus last october how am i doing how is this october um trending this month trending versus the rest of the year um and i think that's really important when you're trying to see how you're growing when you're trying to make managerial decisions and i know that that seems kind of overkill maybe for some of you that you might not be really thinking of it into that regard. But um, a lot of comfort can come from your financials. And I know that sounds probably like, oh, you're just saying that because you're a bookkeeper. But when you see your percentages change and uh, go the right direction, um, I always uh, talk about when 
my husband officially joined Harquin and our net income went up by 1%. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I needed to see that <laughs> decision, uh, you know, cause dollars don't mean a whole lot, but percentages do. Yeah. Um, cause per- dollars are missing context for most, of the, most people. But if you see your percentage, like, you know, my net income was 14% of my total sales, but now it's 15%. Wow. I'm, you know, that change I made last month is really making a difference. Um, that's, that's why financials are, are important. So obviously they're really important for the IRS filing taxes and, you know, meeting that liability as a business owner and American citizen. Um, but then there's the, on top of that, there's the, um, am I doing well? It are these decisions that I'm making when I'm charging more or I'm changing my structure or I started adding products. Uh, is it really helping? Um, cause it's hard to see if you're just looking at your bank balance because it's just a big blob of numbers. Um, so yeah, so financials, that's why I like QuickBooks is because you can manipulate the data in multiple ways in, in seconds and not really having to invest a lot of time and then introducing that human error aspect. Yeah. That human error is, is huge, especially if we have lots of transactions and, and most of us don't have that many because again we're service based so we're getting you know the our our payment processing companies are depositing the money from the services that we're collecting and things like that and that can be uh, maybe confusing for some people too because you know if we use Stripe or we use other payment processes you know they'll just dump a lump sum kind of once a day in our in our accounts and so how do we dive into that information do we need to also go into our um our payment processors and pull out client information there when we're going through this process too? So that's a great question. Um, Part of the bookkeeping is recording the fees. So I think a lot of people also forget that they say, you know, $10,000 was deposited in my bank account. Well, let me claim that as income, but they're forgetting the fees that were charged on the front end. Um, uh, Most merchant processors will deduct the fees before the deposit. Um, And a lot of them will even take out more than just merchant account fees because some, some putting sales will add apps um, like time tracking apps and all of that. And they'll deduct those fees. So software fees from your payouts. So you're not really getting credit for those expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. um, 100% of the sales will be claimed on the 1099 K that you get. Uh, from your merchant processor, but if if you're not going into that point of sale and pulling out those expenses, then you're not claiming all of your expenses, and they're the forgotten expense because they don't hit your bank statement. Yeah, they they you never see those, right? Those take out before that gets pushed to your account, and so digging back through that chain of sequence of, of events, going and that again, that's on us to understand exactly. What hands is this passing through? What's happening at each step so that I can go back and account for all of those little missing pieces? Right. And so for I would say the easy way to account for that, because obviously it's hard to account for something that doesn't exist. That's I think that's where people are like, well, what do I do? It's not in my bank. So how do I record it? Um, If you have a bookkeeping software, um, the the accounting term is called a general journal entry or an adjustment, but you just may basically make an adjustment um, for the amount of fees that were taken. There's always reports in your point of sale that will tell you how many fees were taken, and 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 they break down 
what they went towards, like software, merchant account fees or whatever. Um, so you just make a monthly adjustment for that amount so that your sales are accurate and your expenses are accurate. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I remember when I was a brand new bookkeeper and I thought about that, like, what do I do? It didn't hit anything. It didn't touch it. Is I, this is not a real transaction. How do I enter it? Um, so yeah, so th- you do want to account for that. And if you are using a, um, any type of accounting software, um, there's a, there's a few out there. You would just need to make a, a monthly adjustment for the amount of fees that uh, were withheld. Yeah, and we can go into each transaction and go, okay, these are the fees that are withheld by this bank. So that would apply to, I know a lot, it's very common with pet sitters to use things like PayPal. And anytime you make that, tra- that, that move, right, and we'll assume they have a business at PayPal set up and they're using it appropriately. Like they, there is a percent that PayPal removes to, for you to transfer that money. Right. Right. And that actually kind of opened up a can of worms a little bit in my mind <laughs> uh, that a lot of people forget that PayPal is more like a bank account and they'll accept money through PayPal, but you can also spend money out of PayPal. And those are also often forgotten expenses um, that maybe you for, you just, because it didn't hit your bank account, you kind of forgot about. But but rest assured that PayPal is telling the IRS that you made money. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the sales are being recorded is is the expenses being recorded. That's a, an easily forgotten one, too. Yeah. So that adjustment, I guess, for those following along here, that adjustment would be in the positive or negative for the fees based on our account. So you would do a positive expense and a positive uh, sales. So your sales would go up by the amount of the fees and your expense would go up for amount of the fees. Okay. They're doing it on both, both sides for both those. Right. And I know that gets a little bit tricky when you're dealing with accounting because of debits and credits. Um, so if you're, if you are, if you do write this down, if you have a a software, uh, you're going to debit your expense and credit your sales. Okay. Um, if you're doing an Excel, you would just put a plus in both columns, your expense column and your sales column. <laughs> okay. We're <laughs> right out, going back and writing that down, credit sales. Okay. And I think that gets into a lot of this too, Lindsay, is just there are so many terms when we dive into to bookkeeping and sales. And well, how can we start wrapping our brains around them? And maybe what are some some common terms that we need to have lodged in our brains as we start this process? Well, I will go ahead and confess openly that I failed my first accounting course. Um, my my professor started with day one saying debit and credit. And I was like, okay, I got it. And minus and plus, we're good. But debit and credit are actually Latin terms, and they just mean left and right. Um, so uh, for our bookkeepers, we normally make a cheat sheet of what type of accounts go up on the left side and what type of accounts go up on the right side. So if you see debits and credits, just know that it's not an automatic minus and plus minus and plus. Um, if you are in quick, if you have QuickBooks online, uh, especially they have really done a good job of making it non accounting professional friendly. <laughs> like here's where you enter your expense and here's where you enter your sales. And they just make it really easy. And they have gotten rid of almost all accounting terms. So that's, that's good. Um, yeah, I can go over some, um, accounting terms or some financial, more like more or less financial terms that would help you familiarize yourself. So when you're talking to a CPA or an accounting professional, 
you know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sales and income are just basically, or gross sales, gross sales are just money that you've earned before any expenses were taken out. So again, the scenario where you've uh, earned $100 and Stripe took $3, your, uh, and you had $97 to deposit in your bank account, your gross sales are the $100. Um, so your sales before any expense. Um, the next category that you would see on a financial statement would be cost of goods sold. Um, I'm sure you don't have a lot in a pet if you're 100% service-based and you don't have any team members on your team, you probably wouldn't have anything in that category. Um, but basically, a cost of goods sold is something that you had to buy in order to make money. So say you are that person that is selling products. And let's just make it easy and say you bought you you have sparkly leashes that you sell and you buy them off Amazon and you resell them. So when you buy those leashes, you pay Amazon money and where it's categorized is a cost of goods sold. So this is what I had to buy in order to resell that product. Um, Another one is merchant account fees. We often will put that there uh, because in order to make money, you had to pay uh, a processor to process it. If you have team members on your team, when you pay them, that would be a cost of goods sold So, or, or cost of service, you could say. But it's the same term, stuff that, you, that went directly into you making money. Mm. The next categories are just regular expenses. And what I generally tell people are those are universal depending on, not really depending on what type of business you are. Um, Harquin, as well as a pet sitter, both have software costs and we both have gas expenses and fuel and office supplies and, you know, insurance. We all have those categories. So those are just regular business expenses, not special to your type of industry. So that's what expense means. So uh, their cost of goods sold and expenses are both write-offs. They're just different types. And they're a way to, um, when you're looking at a financial statement, basically see how much am I making off of my service or product? And then how much am I making as a business as a whole? Um, And so they help you determine profitability and all of that. Or manage more more managerial purposes than just tax, right? Tax wiser and expenses and expenses. <laughs> but but as you mentioned earlier, that's where all the power comes in here, right? When we can drill that, we I, I hear this phrase a lot. Oh, I need to drill down into my into my numbers, right? Well, you can only drill down as deep as your categories go, and then you run out of abilities, and then you have to start hashing right. them out more. So that you said, oh, this is only for managerial. Well, a lot of solopreneurs, right? That's what we do, right? We we are making those decisions for ourselves, for our business. We are we are trying to see, are my decisions making an impact? Or are these costing right. me more money? Or how do I adapt to these new changes? And we only know that when we have these things set up. Right. And it's no fun to find out, wow, six months ago, I really could have changed some things <laughs> and made it a lot better. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Doug from Bad to the Bone Pet Care 
has this to say. Time to Pet has made managing my team and clients so much easier. Our clients love the easy-to-use app and scheduling features, and our sitters love being able to have all of their information organized and easily accessible. My favorite feature is the instant messaging. By keeping conversations on Time to Pet, we are able to monitor our team and ensure nothing ever falls through the cracks. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com slash confessional. For that, Lindsay, how often should we be running these kind of reports and looking at these looking at these these numbers? Is it a daily thing or should we, you know, I guess it might depend on just what kind of business we operate. Yes, I would say monthly is the minimum. I think if you, like I said earlier, if you make it too complicated, then it tends to be this burden on your back that you try to avoid at all cost. And so um, monthly, I think, is great because you're you're not dealing with a ton of transactions and it's doable and manage, manage manageable and um, you can do it in a few minutes. And you're all, another perk is you're actually remembering what you purchased. Okay. And I think that can be really tough, um, especially if you do cash withdrawals. It's like, what did I do in March? Why did I buy that? You know, and you, it's really hard to recreate things, especially Amazon. If you buy a lot from Amazon, it's just tons of numbers. And it's like, you know, it, it's awful when I look at my own. It ta- I have to set that aside. Right. And this is like my Amazon day. And I know that sounds bad, but uh, just because I have a lot of things on subscribe and save and it just, you know, and every little piece comes out its own as its own transaction. Sure. And sure, it's convenient on the front end to have paper towels delivered automatically. However, I have to go back and, you know, hunt through my Amazon to see, okay, what was this $22 for? So if you keep up on it monthly, you remember, (laughs) yeah, that's when I bought the computer and that's when I did, you know. It's a lot lot easier. Well, and you have that faster turnaround time to make corrections, right? If you're waiting to do these quarterly or annually, right? You've already gone three months making the same mistakes over and over and not been able to to course correct back to where you were trying to get to. Right. And then obviously there's also those subscriptions too. Uh, Maybe you did a free trial and didn't realize that they were charging you $10 a month. And then you find it later and like, well, there went $60 and I'm the only one to blame because I'm not the one I didn't do my bookkeeping. You know, I didn't know they were deducting it. And I know it's just six months can go by really quick. Yeah. It really especially, yeah, especially when when we are as pet stores, you know, we're doing daily visits. We're doing seven days a week. We're we're going from sun up to sun down, and we look up and we go, "Where did the time go?" Right, and and I, and it's one of those things. Going well, I don't have time right now, but uh, kind of, we don't have time to put it off because the longer we put it off the more transactions I've got to skim through, the more I've got to go dig through my receipts, the more I've got to go figure out these categories, the more I have to remember. So it actually in the end ends up taking us a lot longer if we put it off too infrequently. (laughs) Right. I mean, I can tell you uh, at least two or three times a year, we have to, we have clients, we have to go five years back because even five years went so fast. (laughs) It's real. It's for real. It doesn't go away. <laughs> you know, some of us are, are sole props. Some of us are LLC. I know we even have some listeners who are like S-Corps. Do, does, do, do my tracking obligations differ between my, 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 how my company is set up and organized? 
Uh, yes and no. So I can kind of explain some of the common misconceptions of the soul prop to LLC. Um, so an LLC is the state designation. Um, the IRS does not recognize an LLC as its own business type. So it's, uh, you know, the LLC is limited liability corporation. So therefore, uh, it's, it, it does have some protection for the business owner. But as far as the IRS concern is concerned, tax wise, you are automatically still considered tax wise a sole proprietor. So if you're an LLC or a sole proprietor, your net income for your business goes right onto your personal taxes. So it goes on a Schedule C and um, on your personal taxes. So um, in order to turn your LLC into an S corp, it's called an election. You have to tell the IRS. Hey, I would like you to view me as a S corp and not as a sole proprietor. Um, and they have to approve it. It's a quick little form on the IRS's website. It's actually not very hard at all um, to do. But once you become an S corp, now you're saying officially we are doing two separate tax returns now. There's mine and then there's the businesses. Um, so it does get more for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're an S corp, now you have two tax returns, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's a big deal. And so not only that, but here's where it gets tricky with the S-Corp is now you are um, required to pay yourself a reasonable salary. Um, and it's very uh, ambiguous that on purpose on what reasonable means, I would I, I would if you were watching me now, I'd probably do some air quotes, <laughs> uh, reasonable salary. So where some people really, really mess up. And they end up paying so much more in taxes than they should have is they end up paying themselves over or almost all of their net income. And so they're like, oh, yeah, so I made, you know, I netted 50 grand this year. So I'm going to pay myself a W-2 for 50,000. The whole point of an S-Corp is that um, the small business corporation does not have to pay self-employment tax. And I think people have it all backwards. So the really the point of becoming an S corp is to pay yourself as little as possible on the W two, um, and whatever's left over as your net income of the business is not subject to self employment tax like it would be if you're a sole proprietor or a um, LLC tax as a sole proprietor. That's fi over fifteen percent. Self employment tax is. When you have that tax bill, that's the majority of what you're paying. You're not paying federal income tax. You're paying Social Security and Medicare for you, the employee, and you're also paying the employer share. Um, so it's over 15%. So that's where the big tax bill comes uh, when you're paying the federal government. You're paying self-employment tax. S-corps are not subject to self-employment tax. So there's 15% savings on your... your uh, Taxes, that's significant. That's like almost everything you pay. <laughs> the problem is, is when you pay yourself all of your net income on a W-2, you're now paying self-employment tax on your W-2. So you're now you're even paying more than you would have paid if you just would have remained a sole proprietor. And so people have it totally backwards. So I would highly recommend that if you are an S-Corp, that you... uh look at your how much you're paying on your W-2 before you get too close to year end because you might have to stop paying yourself 
and just start taking the rest of it as owner's draws. Cause like I said, there's so many people that I've seen when I'm, I'm doing their year in financials and their S corps and they, they had negative net incomes because their payrolls were so high. I'm like, wow, you guys just paid way more than you would have. And now you're paying for two tax returns and a payroll service yeah. that you wouldn't have had to pay for. Wow. So wow. that's the biggest misconception. And that's not, that's not just any, like the service-based energy. That's all, all business owners uh, for the most part have that upside down. Yeah. I guess when we say reasonable, we tend to think, larger numbers, right? Oh, yeah, oh, I'm going to pay myself $120,000. But really what that is trying to get around is people paying themselves a dollar and then only then taking everything else through the owner's draw and not having to pay taxes yep. on it. Bingo. Yep. So so and I think they're like, well, it's a write-off. I want to pay myself as a write-off. And it's like that sounds really great, but it's kind of missing the entire point. Yeah. So, um, so yes, that's exactly right. Cause everyone would pay themselves a dollar. Yeah. And I always yeah. go back to that people, when people want to buy a car in December, I'm like, why, if that, if you could really write a whole car off in one year, why wouldn't everyone be doing that? <laughs> yeah. Cause they could just return it January 1st. Exactly. And we're, here we yeah. are. <laughs> well, so you, we mentioned payroll a couple times and I do want to dive into payroll because as we grow as business owners, we tend to bring on a member or two. and But a lot of people are put off from hiring because of the big bugbear that is payroll and, and the insanity that that is. So walk us through some payroll basics and, and really how do we know if it's time for me to get a service or um, how do we make sure it's manageable by ourselves? Yes, payroll can be a bear. Um, and I think the reason it's a bear is because of employment laws. <laughs> Um, so I would always recommend you understand what the law of the land is because that's where normally the biggest hurt comes from. Like we had a client that started a restaurant in, uh, where we're from Columbus, Ohio, and it was, it was very wildly popular and he was paying tips out um, they had collective tips and they were divvying them out. And the law in Columbus, Ohio is that if you're a manager, you're not allowed to get tips. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know that. And somebody took him to court. So it's something silly like that. Who would have thunk it? And first of all, I would say, why didn't the guy, why didn't the guy just say, Hey, did you, you know, that, that was really mean to, to, to do that. And I know this is a weird scenario, but knowing the your labor laws, especially if you're in um um California or New York, um your your uh labor laws are significantly larger than other states. So knowing that on the front end, it's going to help you tremendously. Um just to know how to talk and communicate with your employees and what you're how you're allowed to communicate. As far as sale or payroll taxes uh and apps there are a lot of them out there. Um, I, I know a lot of people probably use Gusto or they'll use something connected to their point of sale, which is very, very convenient. Um, it really is. Um, you can start pretty quick and get it going. The only thing that when those apps fail you is that if something goes wrong, it's in the fine print that um, you are responsible. And actually, I see it quite often on emails that I get for, on behalf of my clients. Um, 
that into it or gusto in the fine print says you are the employer you're obligated to make sure that we paid your taxes mm, yeah um there's a uh very large document that the irs would say that you're required to read in, in order to be an employer it's called the circular e um you could google irs circular e but that's basically what it says and it makes sense from their their standpoint somebody's got to be responsible and if you could just blame the payroll company wouldn't everybody do that and not pay their taxes? <laughs> Somebody has to be, you know, the ultimate responsibility. So I will say, um, I mean, stuff that goes wrong, it, it doesn't happen very often. So I won't, I don't want to be afraid, make you too afraid. However, if you do get a letter from the IRS or from your state or local government, some of us have local tax. Ohio has a lot of local tax, but not every state is like Ohio um, that you should take it seriously and follow up. Um, If you ever get the pleasure of talking to a human being at Gusto, make sure you get their number because you might have to, you might have to call them specifically. I know some people complain with different apps that they have a hard time talking to a human. And when it comes to letters from the government, um, you're going to want to make sure you have some kind of resource and and arms reach that can answer your questions. And like I said earlier with the whole sales tax thing, you know, if you don't if you don't pay <clears throat> if you don't file that zero, you get a letter saying we've estimated your tax to be five grand. You know, you want to make sure that you know how to respond and and what to do. I will tell you, we get tons of letters on behalf of our clients because we're normally the you know, we get a copy of everything our clients get. And a lot of them are fluff um, or an error in the system or whatever. But still, it's it's your responsibility to take it seriously. And um, if you have a buddy who is a CPA or a friend who knows payroll stuff, try to get that, try to get one of those buddies. Right. Um, that way you have someone to bounce ideas off of. Or like I said, if you talk to anybody, uh, a human, um, say you are... Uh, Getting started with Gusto, I would I would request to to know a human's direct number, um, so that way when if something does happen, you don't have to go through and wait on hold and hope that someone gets back to you and all that. That would be my biggest thing is that you have a human to reach out to. When should I start thinking about getting getting help and and looking for a service and and uh, somebody to run payroll for me? Payroll really doesn't take very long to actually run it. Where most people run into a wall and they want to get out of it <laughs> is the due dates yeah. of the taxes. So um, I would imagine most people aren't going to hit the monthly requirement for the IRS, but some people do. Um, so the minimum is quarterly once a quarter. So uh, we're, we're now, we just ended the third quarter we're heading in the fourth quarter. So right now um, everyone who has payroll is doing something right now to send to the IRS, their state, if their city, their unemployment office, um, they're doing something. Yeah. Um, if you withhold or collect $2,500 within a quarter, you, the IRS will say you're now obligated to do monthly for them. Everyone else is still quarterly, but now the IRS requires monthly and, and payments. Again, Lindsay, that's for withholding uh, taxes, right? For our, for our employees that we're putting on payroll. Right. And this is federal. So that would include federal income tax, 
Social Security and Medicare, and that's the employee and employer share. Okay. So when you add all that together, if you've hit $2,500 in a quarter, you're now required to switch to monthly. Um, it, and it really depends on how much you pay yourself or those other people. So if, if it's really not uh, indicative of how many employees you have, but how much payroll is being paid out. And I think that's what really throws people off is like, oh, I have one. I'm my only employee. But if you pay yourself a pretty penny, then you've hit that limit and now you're monthly. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that, that is where people normally like, I'm out. I'm not, it's like, I can either try to do this myself or, and get like a $500 penalty or pay someone $200 to not deal with it. It makes, makes sense to not deal with it. Um, that's where normally people, it's the, it's the remembering of the, of the due dates and uh, all the requirements. Now, one thing that you uh, reminded me of is another requirement that people forget is, say, I'm I'm a pet sitter who had an employee in February, and that employee quit, and mm, I'm going into my slow season or whatever, and I don't really want to hire somebody right now, or I'm done with him. I'm done with payroll for a while. Um, you still have to file zeros. And even if you don't pay someone for the rest of the year, you still have to have a payroll company all the way until January when you do their W-2s. That's the big one that people forget, um, especially if they're closing their business down. Say say they started, they went into 2022 and they closed their business on February. It's like, well, we still have up until next January until, you know, you still have to send a W-2 and you can't do it until January. <laughs> well, so that's, that's a thing that people forget. I think that's one of the biggest things as small business owners that we just have a lot going on. Like, and in one day we're thinking about our families, Christmas, birthdays, uh, marketing strategies, accounting, a certain customer, like all of that is in there at the same time. And so it's all in this big pot of information and then oh yeah <laughs> i have to do this thing that i don't even like to do and i owe money you know it's just so from left field because normally small business owners were more of the creative types than the rigid checklist type people and so we're we're thinking philosophical things these big pie in the sky things and it's like this is so unpleasant <laughs> i just stop all of that to pay this yeah, bill <laughs> so what yeah what should somebody expect to pay for a service to run payroll for us uh, if we're wanting to just get started and, and, and enter into that to run for two or three employees that we're paying bi-weekly i would definitely run it multiple ways like okay how much uh does a bookkeeping firm cost a cpa firm an app. And then what am I going to get for my money? So one of the things that we, we offer with our payroll, we use Intuit payroll as our um, processing platform, but you get a human being and most people don't care to have a human being like that's cool and all, but until they get the letter and then they're like, Oh, I wish I had a human being. (laughs) That's why I really push human. Like think about that part of it because You'll have to, that'll be your lifeline when something, you know, scary comes in the mail. Um, And the IRS is so great at wording their, their lovely, their lovely letters on how they're going to uh, come and take your property. 
<laughs> like that. I mean, that's like, are you serious? This is my first letter from you and you're going to come take my, it's just to get people to do yeah. like, they want you to act. They want you to call. Uh, so they're going to put scary words. I mean, there's even a local um, tax, tax agency in uh, central Ohio that will actually put the word subpoena on the letter. What? Like you've been subpoenaed to talk about your tax bill. It's so good. It's just to get human beings to move. I get it. We don't like dealing with that yeah. stuff. Um, but so I will say the price of everything's going up. So I, I would re- really do your due diligence and compare and contrast what the cost is. How convenient is it for me as a business owner to turn my hours in? And then what am I getting? What's what's valuable to me um, in, in regards to that? So some of them will look, they'll say it costs, you know, $14 a month to process your payroll or whatever, $40 a month to process your payroll. But there's always a end of year charge that people don't re- don't remember. Um, how, and then how much are you charging for W-2s? Um, and so there's that. Plus, one thing you also have to consider when you're getting a quote is how frequently you run your payroll. We, for instance, I would say are fairly competitive. But we, because we charge our time, if you have a weekly payroll, we're automatically going to be the most expensive one because you're running four payrolls a right. month and sometimes five. Yeah. <laughs> um, so take that in consideration is um, if you're getting charged per payroll run, but you ha- if you have – some people think they have to file or uh, pay weekly because their empl- maybe their employees won't accept anything otherwise – then take that in consideration. Are you getting charged a flat fee or is it a flat fee per payroll run? Um, and I always try, if you're a brand new employer, I say try to do biweekly. Biweekly is the best yeah. because it's every other fill in the blank, every other Wednesday, every other Monday. If you're trying to float, if you have a 15th and the first of the month, you're like, okay, the 15th falls on a Saturday. So therefore I have, you know, then you're always having to calculate what that date is and it, and it it makes you just not want to do anything like, oh, I can't go on vacation now because, <laughs> you know, all these things. And I, I, I like the pace of every other Wednesday. I have to do this thing um, and it's just locked in. And then, like I said, weekly is a pain in the rear end because it's constantly happening. And for really little to no benefit um, to have to constantly be doing payroll. Um, I think most people have gotten rid of that. And then also there's the check versus direct deposit. Um, most people don't really pay via check anymore because it is a pain in the rear. People lose their checks. They don't cash their checks. And then they're on your books. And there's all kinds of laws about people's uncashed payroll checks. Uh, so direct deposit is definitely the way to go if you can get away with it. Um, some I know some people in some regions... It's hard to find people who will work with direct deposit. Um, but I would say it's such a standard thing for most of us that I would just, I wouldn't even offer otherwise. Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through 
the essentials of, of bookkeeping, some common terms, and really tackling some misconceptions around payroll as well, and really what to look for to help get our time back as small business owners. I know this is kind of a big topic. Uh, there's maybe some more stuff that we didn't get to, t- <laughs> to touch on. Uh, so... If people are interested in in following along with Harquin, getting in touch with you, and starting to ask some questions for how to make sure that their business is set up well, how best can people do that? You could email us um, at admin at harquinbookkeeping.com, or you could message us through our Facebook page. That works really well. We have a couple of Facebook groups that are more specific to different types of industries. But like I said, you can just message us. And ask questions. We love helping entrepreneurs. That is, like I said, from the very beginning, we, we, I, I love entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur since I was five years old. I, I love it. I love the thought. I love the thought of families working together. It's just the coolest thing ever. And, uh, so we would love to help you at no charge. Um, just message us. You can use this as a sounding board, bounce ideas off of, uh, we give, we can give referrals. Um, we are we love small businesses and we actually it's on our t-shirts it's so it's it's true it's in our it's in our email signatures and our t-shirts so it it must be true <laughs> there you go perfect and lindsay i'll have those links on the show notes and on our website so um uh, listeners can get clicked right to those again i i really appreciate you coming on and helping us tackle this topic it's super important as business owners that we understand what we've committed ourselves to so uh thank you for your time and uh for all the great information today lindsay it was a real pleasure you're very welcome Are your finances organized? How are you keeping track of all of your expenses and making sure that they are categorized effectively? More than just an end-of-year kind of ritual, keeping organized means staying up-to-date with everything throughout the year so we don't have to scramble. And it's easier for us to make decisions, not just at the year-end, but for month after month and all year round. Being well-organized with our finances means that those powerful decisions that we can make in our business come from knowledge of how our business is functioning at its core. And when we make business decisions about adding services or products or anything along those lines, we need to be able to sit down with ourselves, with a CPA, with a trusted financial advisor, and make sure that we understand all of the obligations that we are signing ourselves up for. The quarterly reporting, the sending in sales tax receipts, and all of that stuff comes with the decision to go into those new areas of business. Yes, they can help us grow. Yes, they can help us smooth over some of the downtime when pet sitting takes a dive. However, there are obligations that we have now committed ourselves to, and we need to make sure that we understand the entire breadth of all of that before we dive in. We want to thank our sponsor today, Time to Pet, and we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon.